There are monsters. Some are real. And some we create. We must come to terms with these monsters. We are going to explore these monsters among other things. Like ghosts. Psychics. UFOs. Bigfoot. Lost civilizations. Angels. And extraterrestrial contact. This is your Paranormal Zen. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Lynch, and welcome to the show. You may wonder why I'm standing in the front yard of this old Victorian mansion, here with my umbrella caught in this rainstorm. It's always Murphy's Law when you go ghost investigating. What will happen can happen. What does go wrong will go wrong. And of course, tonight's the night I go ghost hunting. And there's a thunderstorm. Lightning. Thunder. Rain. All the odds are against you. Because now the energy is electrified. I stand here wondering, as my umbrella gets heavy with the rainfall, why I'm actually here. Why do I need to go into this old Victorian mansion made of brick and mortar with its broken windows and creaky doors with its plank of wood flooring that's now warped and buckled? It's because the owner of the house, who wants to rehab the house, sometimes late at night sees lights through the windows. Small, bouncing lights going up the staircase, and sometimes on the second floor. So bright, he says, that it looks like lanterns, as if someone has a candle or a lantern bobbing up and down staircases, going from room to room. It's a strange, strange sight. Sometimes the light is white, and sometimes it's orange. But through the warped windows and the plank wood, sometimes it's hard to see if someone's actually holding the light or someone's broken in. The owner knows that There could be ghosts there. The mansion is several hundred years old, probably close to 150 on the conservative side, owned by many owners, built back at the end of the last century, 1880-1886, Victorian. Something in in those times, in those days, rang true for many people. It was the manifest destiny, the human will, free land, and the power to make money. Drove many to build such Victorian mansions. Today would cost millions of dollars, back then probably a few hundred thousand. With German artisans to lay the brick, make the wood, The wood interiors of some of these homes are lavish. They reek of another time when artisans took time 
to craft the wood so each house was individual a miniature castle a mansion nonetheless the wood was of oak and elder mahogany woods that would last thousands of years the mindsets of these people where they were building generations, a house that would stand for several generations, to be passed down from father to son to grandson to great-grandson. Their mindset was longevity. But over time, the wealth faded. Maybe the grandson didn't really happen. And some of these old homes are left abandoned, alone. And new blood comes in, seeing a potential prophet, wanting to rehab, wanting to start all over, give the mansion a facelift, the new interior, modern utensils, modern conveniences of the 21st century. But still something lingers. Something inside the house doesn't want to leave, doesn't want to move on. Maybe it's a former owner. Maybe it's just a wanderer. So I stand here in the front yard of this Victorian mansion, determining my fate, determining the adventure that I'm about to undertake, to open the door, to step in, and for a brief moment or a brief hour, touch the face of the afterlife. Not a lot of people think this way. Not a lot of people have done what I've done, been where I've been. But these dancing bowls of light that look like candlelight or lantern are real. Sometimes they glow in the dark. Sometimes they are just in the edge of the, the corner of the eye where light plays tricks on the mind. We stand on the precipice, the edge of the abyss, and the abyss calls to us. As we open the door and we step in, yes, it's still raining, and there's not a lot of power in this old dilapidated mansion that's being rehabbed, but we do have a little bit of power. There's some extension cords on the ground, and one or two of the light circuits work, but mainly it'll be up to us It'll be up to us to creep through the back corridors, the dimly lidded hallways, the creaky old stairs, and search for the afterlife. Rub up against it, touch it, and try to understand it. Many homes are made of brick and mortar. They're just landmarks for us to go by. The living room, the bedroom, the basement, the attic, the stairs, these are just landmarks. Small, but landmarks none the same. The entity that lives there lives in its own mind, its own imagination, its own memory. The memory of what was the mansion. The memory and what it stood for. In many ghost investigations that I've been on, we deal with the memory of an entity. What it was when it was and what it's trying to communicate to us today. Consciousness as we understand it has 
many different layers to it. On the outside of the layers of consciousness, there are about eight fields, like electromagnetic fields, eight layers. Each layer determines height, width, and ratios of the environment that it's going through. Each layer becomes more poignant as it gets closer to the orb, the orb consciousness that can glow in the dark by itself. These electromagnetic fields are what's detected by our instruments. Many use some type of Gauss meter which monitors electromagnetic waves. I never did that because that was too confusing with the wiring in some of these old homes. So as we walk through the foyer into the living room, a lot of times we'll get electromagnetic interference, but that's just because of old pipes and wiring. It has nothing to do with the ghosts. So many times I use an ampmeter, a voltmeter, something that can determine electrons, because that's really what we're after. We're after electrons, even in charged, rainy environment that's happening outside. We're still looking for electrons. Anything that passes through our environment, our air molecules, will scrape against electrons. Electrons are free in our natural environment. They're free from almost anything. It's free energy if we just had the ability to harness it. Static lightning from thunderclouds are the same way. And rain increases the electron capability tenfold. But as any entity, even energy, passes through our environment, it's going to move around electrons. It's going to compress electrons. Airplanes do. Anything that flies through our environment creates an electron. Electron wave, electron buff, buffer. Just like a boat. <laughs> when a boat travels through water, it creates a wake or a wave. The wave is slightly denser, more has more dense, denser capacity in the environment. Just like air pressure builds up, it is denser because of air molecules. Well, if we look at electrons the same way, whatever passes through our environment creates a wake of electrons. And we can determine if something's passing through the environment and creating such a wake by a voltmeter, not a gauss meter. So when we pull this out and we start seeing the voltmeter go off the charts into millivolts, hundreds of thousands of millivolts that go up into almost a volt range, we know that something is moving in this rainy environment. Inside the house, inside the house where we stand, there shouldn't be anything moving, but there is. And it's just solid enough to make a dent in our environment, to compress electrons. So now we move about the house using one tool or the other. Some people are using EVPs to monitor ghostly activity. But mainly the ghosts don't like to talk to us. They don't really care about us. Not unless we ask direct and poignant questions to them. I always felt that ghosts had a childlike fascination. They'll be interested in you in 30 or 40 seconds, then after that, well, 
they're on their own. They're off doing something else. So when you go look for a ghost, you're not really looking for the ghost. You may be also looking for the memory of the ghost, the size of the ghost, the place the ghost remembers. So what we see is a dank, dark, empty Victorian mansion. The ghost may see it lined, lined with furniture, exotic drapes, laughter, and good times. And wonders why you have interceded on its memory, on its environment. You have to remember that a ghost is two things. It's predatorial or it's territorial. When you walk into a place like this, it is territorial. The entity doesn't want you there, won't have any contact with you, or will try to get you to leave by any means possible. If moving objects is what it means, or touching you, or pulling on you, it will do that. Every sound an entity makes is derived by memory. The footsteps it takes, the voices it has, it's all by memory. Because we know it doesn't have any vocal cords, it doesn't have any feet, it's not stomping around, it doesn't look like me. It can. It can take electrons, free energy, right out of the air, and it can reproduce its image, reproduce its mind, its, its sound, its vocal cords. But it's all in its mind. It is from its own memory in which it recreates itself. The voice that's being picked up on the EVP is its voice that it remembers. The gait of its walk, the style of clothing, it's all from its own memory. If it has enough energy, it can recreate it through its own mind. But the natural state of things in a three-dimensional environment, the easiest thing for anything to recreate is a sphere, a round ball. Just like the planets, just like the sun, just like the moon, just like any other type of gas or liquid that we put into space, it automatically creates a round ball, a sphere. Because all the molecules and electrons are trying to fight it, fight its way to the center. And so it creates a bubble, a sphere. So consciousness is almost exactly the same way. If it doesn't have the memory or the energy or the electrons, then it just remains a sphere. Now the sphere itself is totally normal, but it can also lash out, it can scratch, it can vocalize. It can communicate to you what it wants and what it doesn't want. In many investigations, I've caught spheres attacking people, spheres leaving their body, spheres scratching their arms, spheres leaving messages on recorders. Not human forms, not the forms that we think that ghosts are, because that only comes from their memory. 
The real true consciousness is a sphere, is a ball, a dimensional ball, just hovering in energy just enough to intersect, but not collide with this reality. Again, when we're talking about energy, many people think we're talking about electricity, but we're not talking about electricity, we're talking about plasma, the fourth state of energy, the fourth state of matter, plasma. And plasma has a lot of dynamics to it. It can be a smoke, it can be a mist, it can be lightning, it can glow or stay hidden. Much of this plasma that we understand to our physics lies close to the infrared, if not directly in the infrared, away from prying human eyes that can see only in white light. How I discovered that many ghosts are in the infrared is because of old stories. I read over three or four hundred stories about ghostly apparitions that would appear at sunrise or sunset or by candlelight. Well, if anyone knows anything about physical science, that when the light of the sun cuts through our atmosphere in the early mornings and the late evenings, infrared light is streamed through our atmosphere. It's the same thing with candlelight. Candlelight, it is mainly in the infrared. These apparitions, these mists take form, take shape for a brief, brief moment. The will-o'-wisp, the fairies, the fae, the little green men, the leprechauns, all come out on this interdimensional infrared light that shows us the way only for a brief second. Halogen lights will do the same thing. They pour enormous amounts of infrared into the environment. Along these cues, you'll probably go toward the infrared to investigate for ghosts. You can also use the UV. We've used both. The UV spectrum and also the infrared spectrum give us a clue. Now, I'm primarily in the infrared. In the infrared, we see that light and microwaves overlap just in the infrared spectrum. And in that case, we're very close to microwaves. And microwaves and consciousness are very close indeed. There's over 100,000 frequencies in the human mind, in the human consciousness. 25,000 of those only relate to our environment, only relate to the room that I'm in, or the walls that I see, or the body, or the shape of the body that I'm in. My heartbeat, my senses are all only within 25,000 different wavelengths in my consciousness. But the rest of it, the 75,000 other wavelengths, are directly connected into the afterlife. It's through our subconscious mind. Now, many psychics use their subconscious mind in that 75,000 wavelength link 
to to what to observe to communicate in the afterlife through a, a self hypnosis or trial or maybe even DNA that's been activated. They're using the 75,000 wavelengths in order to connect and plug into to make the link into the afterlife. I've been in a house where a psychic was there and she said there are six entities in this house and I have videotaped four. I know I'm on the right track. I know that she is connecting to those entities. When a psychic says the entity is female or male, I know she's on the right track. Because she's using the other half of her consciousness, the, the quiet part, the 75% to lock in to that afterlife. This Victorian mansion is no more, you might say, in the afterlife than any other house at any other time. There may be a vortex here. There may be lost memories here. But whatever it is that's drawn another entity into the house, this entity is walking the stairs, moving around, and thinking that it's home. In the manifest destiny of America, many people built things that would last forever. And when they died... They just claimed that it was theirs all along. They weren't going to leave. I built this house. I'm not going to leave this house. Their desires and their memory and their will combine into an effort where they don't have to leave. They don't want to leave. They don't need to leave. It's theirs. They built it. It's their destiny to stay there. In the contemporary 21st century, we're always on the go, and we very seldom ever plant our feet upon the ground and say, this is where I will take my final stand, and this is where my family will grow forever. No, we're moving around from job to job. Fame and fortune takes us in many different directions. We don't ever really stay in any one place anymore. We are on the go. But just a few years ago, 150 years ago, people took a stand and they stayed in one place and generations grew out of that one place. Their manifest destinies weren't just in their ideals and their expressions it was something deep down into their souls and they were not going to relinquish it it could not be pulled from their dead hands it was theirs forever whether it be a keepsake a cameo a ring a pair of shoes any item can be haunted, not just a house. So, what are we really looking for? We're looking for a ghost that has a memory, that has a longing, that has a belonging to an area, a house, a place, a thing that it's attached to. 
And the more energy it has, the more memory it can pull, it can resemble itself or anything else that it wants to be. It can be young, it can be a child, it can be an old man. Whatever memory it has. All consciousness lives in the eternal now and are outside of time and space. They're beyond what we would understand as any logical form of time. So if you spend an hour in a haunted house or four hours or four days, it would make very little or no difference to the entity. It will not change. It is outside time and space. It is in the afterlife, in its own reality. What little evidence you may find here or there is inconsequential because it's its will, the entity's will, that commands it. The entity will give you what only it wants to give you in order to get you out of the house or off its property. It will give you only what it wants to give you. Many psychics that I've worked with will sit down and say, there's an entity here and it will not talk to me. It doesn't want to reveal itself. It just wants us out of this house. A device, an instrument, will not be able to tell you that. So most people go into a haunted house fully armed to the teeth with whatever instrument that they can drag in. One man that I've met not too long ago suggested that if you don't have a trunk with you of stuff, then you don't belong in the ghost hunting world. Well, I'm sorry to say I don't carry a trunk with me. I carry some very precise handmade instruments. I don't rely only on one to give me the full picture. I use whatever I can in my arsenal to give me the clearest picture possible. And I have videotaped a lot. I videotaped angels. I videotaped ghosts. Fairies. The gambit. Guardian angels. Sentinel angels. Human consciousness. And not just like close up. Like 150 feet away. In the rain. On a, on a misty night. I've seen these things. I've never had an out-of-body experience. I've never been close to death. I have equipment that does that for me. Sees right into the afterlife. And if they're there, in that frequency, I should be able to see them. If not, I rely on whatever else I can. Whether it be EVP or whether it be still photography or whether it be a psychic or whether it be my own best guess whatever it takes to complete a picture a picture of that the motives of that entity's wishes what are its motives we have to be psychologically on key here because we're walking into someone else's living room someone else's time and space, someone else's memory. They may be able to see us or hear us, but unable to communicate directly to us. 
And the longer we're in that environment, the more hostile that entity may become. And that lashing out may be its only resort. I've been in, in some critical areas where the entity definitely believes that the house is theirs. And they have collected other spirits, other souls to live with it, giving them protection or sanctuary until the point to where they've collected enough entities in a house that they can actually defend it. And the first way that they'll defend their property, their territory, is by tricking the mind, making sounds that aren't real, only you can hear. Sounds that sound like footsteps or breathing or heartbeats. I mean, you confuse it with your own. That extra person in the room is unaccounted for, but yet you still hear their footsteps, a voice, a whisper. The next will be physical. Objects will move. Things will fall down. People will be pushed. The next level will be more violent. Not only will there be equipment failures, there will be scratching, burning on the physical body. It will do whatever it can, when it can, in order to defend itself and protect its territory. Like a mad dog being driven slightly more deranged by the number of people in its environment. Not wanting to lash out, but having to defend itself is a fine line. So you walk into this Victorian mansion and you walk down some of the darker hallways, the kitchen, the basement. And sometimes something goes through your mind on what really happened there and why it was abandoned in the first place. Why the architecture doesn't quite add up. Maybe there was a fire, maybe there were some changes made. Whatever it was, whenever that happened, that entity is still there, reminded of those times. You can't help but feel sorry for these entities that linger, stay behind. But then again, maybe this is their slice of heaven. Maybe this is their eternal memory to live in this place, to enjoy this place for a long time, as long as the place stands. We don't know why we're attached to certain things. Maybe it's sentimental reasons. Maybe it's because of fun or personal satisfaction. But many industries are haunted as well. Many factories are haunted where people have put in 20 or 30 years of their life. They still show up for work, have that cup of coffee and that donut, and watch the assembly line happen. But they're no longer alive. They pass by, they greet former employees or new employees, and they go about their day, walking, wandering, 
through the streets and the causeways of our city. We don't know why things are haunted. Many reasons are psychological, not physical. And in the paranormal world, we look at ghost hunting as a psychological basis. We don't look at it as a physical basis. Anyone who does that is just not seeing the evidence. Because no matter, no matter what you use, no matter how well you use it, you still have to understand that this is a psychological game. They don't want you here. Or they'll follow you home to make sure you don't come back. Because they are 100% into the afterlife. 100% connected to it. We are only 75% connected to it. They outgun us, outman us, outspeed us. They can do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it. And we are trapped inside this old Victorian mansion with warped floors and shattered walls and boarded up windows in a rainstorm that will play havoc on our very subconscious mind. There'll be whispers. There'll be moments of unrest. But whatever we do, we cannot lose the focus of why we're there. We cannot be frightened into believing or working with someone else's psychology. If we fall into that trap, then they're in control. The entity has won. The difference is whose will is stronger. Is it the investigator or is it the entity waiting, hiding in wait like a tiger in the grass for that investigator to come in? Many of us stand alone, but the wise thing about, about going on ghost investigations is you never go alone. It's like skin diving and a few other things. You don't want to go alone. First, you have to coordinate your data with somebody else. And the other thing is you always need a witness to say, did you see that? Did you just see that? If they can confirm it, then maybe it's giving you more of a chance for clarity and sanity. What we're dealing with when we go ghost investigation is not the Scooby-Doo complex. It's that we're on the verge of a great new science, a verge of a new reality and a paradigm-shifting consciousness awareness that there is an afterlife, that we can prove it beyond all reasonable doubt, not through religion, not through ritual, but through our own scientific investigations. The idea of an afterlife where your consciousness does not die and lives forever in infinity is still beyond the basic scientific grasp. It is easier for us to go to the moon. It is easier for us to control the atom in a nuclear or hydrogen explosion than it is to go into the afterlife. The courage and 
and interest and involvement to getting into paranormal investigations is beyond any scientific endeavor. Because what you're going to lose is not only the science that got you there, it will be the friends and the family who don't want you to be there. It will be the religion that can't handle spirituality, but can handle ritual and conformity. The paranormal investigator who goes on ghost investigations is trying to gain control of his idea that consciousness is stable and is in the afterlife and we're in some form of it. We're just in a different frequency. We're in a frequency of matter, which vibrates at a different frequency. But consciousness surpasses all that. There is no difference between my consciousness and the entity that I'm investigating, except that it's not in a body. But it is energy. It's an energy that I can detect. It's an energy that is stable in my environment. So if it's stable in my environment, it must be stable in its environment. No matter if it's in a cloud or a mist or an orb or face or a body, it's stable. It's using its mind, its memory to stabilize it. We could not have EVPs if the mind was not stable enough to mimic and remember its own voice. The voice would not be stable enough to be transmitted on to a recorder. The same stability in my environment, in this old Victorian home made of brick and mortar, is the same stability that gives my consciousness stability. It's a universal effect. My body does not stabilize my consciousness. My body just is included with my consciousness. This reality is only vibrating at a frequency that my consciousness can understand. Just like the ghost I'm trying to investigate is vibrating at a frequency that it can understand. The idea is what are we really doing? Are we investigating another consciousness slices of heaven? Is this where that ghost really wants to be? needs to be and if we get rid of him does he will he come back can he come back probably so we have to determine what is heaven and what isn't we have to investigate the afterlife along with consciousness because they both are equal to themselves stability if the afterlife does not exist neither can consciousness Consciousness exists because it's stable. A hundred thousand non-competing wavelengths vibrating in a sphere of energy that we relate to plasma. More along the lines of a whole new physics that we don't even understand or have a clue about because it's so entwined and intrigued into the afterlife. And that intrigue 
keeps us coming back. Even in rainstorms. Even in lightning bolts. Even on cloudy nights. Because we're looking for a personal form of control. A personal form of stability. So that we know that this is all real. We have a personal understanding of the reality of stability, which gives us control. And everyone, whether they be a psychopathic or sociopath or everyday guy walking down the street is searching for that one moment to where he's in control. He understands what's going on. He knows who he is. And he's in control. And that's what this is all about. Ghost hunting and consciousness is a search for stability. Now again, consciousness in the orb form has eight different layers. On the outside of it, electromagnetic shields that help it guide it through space. And we look for electrons that it it separates. It creates a wake of electrons, and that's how we can determine its motion, its movement. Inside the orb, on the out, or on the outer, outer edge of the orb, there is a corona, a discharge, for moving through those electrons. Then there's a layer, a very thin layer. It's not a dimensional layer, but it's a it's some type of layer that is the outer edge of the orb. On the inside of the orb, just below that little layer, that dimensional layer, there's something that looks like like glass. Vibrating energy looks like that looks like uh, glass, fiberglass, electrical plasma glass. And this vibrates out to the edges of the orb hundreds of thousands times a second. Then it goes in toward the central matrix. And the central matrix is the center of this entire spinning ball of energy. The central matrix, we would say, would be the brain, the hypothalamus, where all this energy goes into memory and makes some type of sense to the consciousness awareness. Consciousness sees a 360-degree view all the way around, up and down, north and south, east and west, are all visible. And it moves through space as high as it wants, as low as it wants, anywhere it wants. It is memory to talk and to sing its voice, to ask questions. The voices range from small boys, small girls, to adults, to elderly people, from the 20s all the way to the Stone Age, to someone who just died yesterday at the very beginning of time. Consciousness is forever. Consciousness will not age. Consciousness is in the eternal now. And consciousness with the will and the memory can control the environment. 
the environment becomes compliant to the consciousness and recreates it. Normally the body, the clothes, the environment, the memory, the environment becomes compliant, obeys the will of consciousness. So the average ghost hunter is not talking about stability, is not talking about personalities, consciousness profiling, um, running, running different options on why the entity is there. They're called in because the owner has seen a light in this old abandoned house and can't explain it. So they're wanting you to explain it. They're wanting you to do what they cannot do, what their paradigm is not willing to accept because they don't understand the difference between ritual and spirituality, between consciousness and the body that it belonged to. The paranormal investigator has to take every tool, even the sharpest of the mind, and the willing to change his paradigm into order to understand the idea that stability of this universe is the same stability of consciousness. There are monsters. There, there are monsters out there. But the biggest monster in the field of the paranormal is denial. And that's not a river in Egypt. It is denial that consciousness is stable and can coexist in this reality. We're taught the first day of Sunday school. Heaven is over there. Hell is over there. No. That's wrong. We're all in the same room. We take what we cannot leave behind with us. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's love. And sometimes it's denial. I tell everyone that goes into this, keep your mind open and be prepared for the unexpected. If you don't have a firm grasp of reality, don't become a paranormal investigator. If you seek reality, you will find it, but it will be nothing to what you expect it to be. Reality is the afterlife. It always has been. And whether you talk to a shaman or a yogi or whomever, they will all tell you the afterlife is the reality. This is the illusion. And so that consciousness that you're going to go in there and find is already in the greatest reality of, the, of them all. And the universe is compliant to its will. So sometimes you have to test your own will and see what's compliant. If we can dent our reality, that ghost can bend it. If we can break a few physical laws, then the entity can do ten times more damage than that. We have a lot of weaknesses. We're biological humans. 
We have more weaknesses than we can account for, derive from. But the whole idea is not to be weak of the will or weak of the mind. Because they're just as stable as the entity that you're looking for. And you have to reach out and grasp a new reality. You have to touch the afterlife. You have to change your paradigm. You have to strengthen your character. And you have to find a place for you in the paranormal. No matter what you think, no matter no matter what you think has all been done or has nothing has been done, it doesn't matter. Because it only takes a little bit of information for a believer to believe. It will take a mountain of information and a skeptic will not believe. The difference between a believer and a skeptic is a paradigm shift. And then that's what you're going to do in this old Victorian home. You shift your paradigm and find out the real reason why you're there. Because if the real reason that you're there is to be a Scooby-Doo effect, that's the wrong reason. The real reason why you should be there is to grasp that stability that should be in your life. To grasp that control of meeting and dealing with the afterlife on a day-to-day relationship in a day-to-day understanding. It's the idea the afterlife is all around us. We are in an ocean. We're embedded in it. We are immersed in the afterlife. The afterlife streams through us to keep not only our dimension stable, but our consciousness inside our bodies stable. Then that will give you some control. That will give you a purpose and understanding. And every day that you go out into the world, you will say to your friends, do you have that touch of stability? Are you in control of that relationship with the afterlife? Are you making sense of it? Is it as important to you as your next breath? In the movie The Matrix, Morpheus told Neo, he said, Are you, do you think you're breathing that air? Do you think you're breathing the air in, in The Matrix? Neo didn't know what to reply. And so I ask you the same questions, you paranormal investigators, you skeptics. Are you really breathing that air? No, you're not. You think you are. Because the reality has convinced you that you breathe in oxygen, your oxygen fills up your lungs, your lungs separate that and send it to your bloodstream. But actually we're not. It's an illusion. The stability that maintains my lungs, the air that I breathe, this room, the Victorian mansion, and the thunderstorm. That stability comes and is derived by the afterlife, which comes from a consciousness so great and so understanding that it maintains it for me. 
I participate very little in this reality. Only 25% of my consciousness is actually sitting here, um, you know, dealing with brick and mortar, plastic and silica. Only 25%. The rest of it, 75% of my consciousness is totally connected to the afterlife. I don't even know it. I didn't even know it until I found out. So some people say we only use like, you know, four or five or six percent of our brains. Some geniuses use ten. And I say whoever said that was an idiot because we use a hundred percent of our brains or we would be brain dead. So let's use a hundred percent of our consciousness. Let's blend the twenty-five and the seventy-five percent together. So that we understand and we have a firm grip on our place in the universe. A firm grip on this energy that's called consciousness that's all around us. And many people, and I've heard a father and son team talk about how quantum physics describes everything in the paranormal world. Quantum physics is an illusion. Higgs boson is an illusion. We've created it out of our own nonsensical mathematics. It does not exist. It's a monster that has robbed us of the truth. Robbed us of our control and our grasp of the paranormal, of the afterlife, of the stability. Because we can always write a new equation, we can always dream a new dream, but that doesn't make it's stable. That doesn't make it real. A doctor once told me, and also a, a drug salesman once told me, that when they go out and sell drugs, they go to the doctors and they say, this is a new drug and its name is Leprechaun or whatever it is. And it will cure all these problems. And if you go out and sell this drug by its name, people will believe you. And they'll take that drug and they'll be cured. Now we only know that that drug's only good for six, six, seven, seven months, maybe a year. And then we'll change its name and we'll put it on the generic side and guess what? It won't cure as many people. So the doctors take the drug and they go out to their patients and they say, we got a brand new drug. It'll cure almost anything. Here, I'll write you a prescription. And they take it home. They come back to the doctor in a couple of months. And they say, doctor, I feel great. That must be a wonder drug. And then a year goes by, and there's no more effect of that drug in their body. Not because they didn't take the drug. It's because the name wore off, and they don't believe in the drug anymore. So their bodies aren't being cured anymore. Consciousness keeps the body stable. The afterlife keeps my consciousness stable. And if I believe in something, I can dent the reality that I'm in. Now, I can say, I believe there's a ghost in this old Victorian mansion. But my equipment will tell me whether there is or there isn't. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Just because you believe there's something in that old mansion, is it really you believing 
Is it your mind playing tricks? Is it you losing control? Or is it you using all of the data that you can collect in making a wise diagnosis on whether there's consciousness there and whether that environment is stable? And that that's what this is really all about. We've got to reach Zen with it. We've got to reach that point to where we understand its stability. And then become one with it. It's Zen. Reach the paranormal Zen. So that it becomes part of you. And you understand it. You're one with it. You're not fighting it. You're not trying to super analyze it. It becomes part of you so that you can work with it in its own natural state of stability. Fighting for stability, whether you're a man or a woman walking in this world, stability and control is really what we're after. And we can only find that when we step across the precipice and touch the afterlife. The afterlife gives us total freedom to understand this reality. We'll never really understand this reality completely, but we can reach a level of understanding and understand its stability so that we can then understand ourselves. Because what we're really doing is investigating ourselves. We're investigating our personal problems. We're investigating our own consciousness, our weaknesses, our strengths. Every time that we investigate into the afterlife, one day, maybe this will all make sense. Maybe one day we'll give up our weaknesses. We'll embrace a new paradigm and we'll come out of it a better person. The investigation of the paranormal is not abstract. It's not crazy. It's not strange. It's man's never-ending struggle for stability and self-awareness. It's man's never-ending desire to be one with his environment. It's the never-ending desire to go where no one has ever gone before. We are the new pioneers. We're the paranormal pioneers. Pioneers of the paranormal. And every generation has their their few that are looking for control and stability. Well, this has been my talk. I'm so glad you came by on this paranormal investigation. Soon I'll have all the data, and then we'll have to leave. We'll start all over again in another old Victorian home. This has been Dr. Michael Lynch, and this has been your Paranormal Zen. Thank you for listening.